Romans chapter 12. I'm going to direct your attention beginning in verse 3. Two weeks ago when we were here, uh, we dealt with verse 3. And we're going to do just a little review on that and get into the rest of what the Apostle Paul is, is, is uh, where he's going in Romans chapter 12. And our text this morning is going to be verses 3 through 8. And so follow along as I read here. Beginning verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And then he goes on, and, and uh, we, we considered these verses not that long ago. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. He's talking about... Uh, brotherly love in the, in the Lord's church, not to be fake. Don't let it, don't let it be without dissimulation. He says that's, it's, it's feign or fake. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. He's talking about uh, the, the way that we, that we act and we treat each other. Uh, I don't want to do anything towards my brother or sister that would bring evil in their life. Rather, cleave to that which is good. I only want their benefit and their good as a, as a brother, as a sister in the Lord. And then he says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So the context here is, is the Apostle Paul talking to, uh, writing to this church, and, and he's, he's talking about uh, your place as a member, as a believer, uh, as a member in the Lord's church. And so we're going to consider some of that this morning. Paul begins his thought in chapter 12 by dealing with the individual believer and our responsibility toward God. He says in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or live out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he starts out uh, by by dealing with our individual responsibility toward God. Paul's emphasis here is for us to understand that we have an obligation to the Lord first to give Him the best of our life, to give Him our service, to give Him uh, sacrifice. And then the rest of this chapter is focused on the individual believer's duty to and place in the body of Christ, which is the local New Testament church. By the way, just as a side note, the Bible knows nothing of a universal, invisible church. The church is always a local, visible assembly of saved, baptized believers who have been called out for a particular purpose to serve the Lord. Don't be confused by that. When we say the body of Christ, we're referring specifically to the local New Testament church. It is the Lord's church in this location. And so Paul's dealing with 
our duty to and place in the local New Testament church. Chapter 13 begins to speak about the believer's place in society. And so I want you just to understand what Paul is doing here. Our, our response and our duty to the Lord, our response and our duty inside of the local church, our response as believers outside in the world. That's what Paul is doing in this, in this section. So now, as we consider this text this morning, we're going to find that there are two observations that every believer needs to make concerning how he or she fits with God's plan inside of the body, which is the local New Testament church. We're going to consider a couple of things. Number one, what is your place? And then number two, work out your function inside of the body. All right? And so that's where we're going. Let's pray, and then we'll do a little review from last time, and then we'll break these verses down and make the applications. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today uh, with your word. Lord, we need your spirit to give us understanding. Lord, we need your spirit to uh, even apply these truths in our life where you would see fit. And Lord, I don't know the heart of any person. Lord, you know what's in the hearts of men. You try the hearts of men. And so, Lord, we just ask you today that you would fill with your spirit to, to preach your word, but that, Lord, that you'd also give us the understanding and application that we need to apply it in our life. So, Lord, that we are doers of the word and not hearers only, uh, deceiving our own selves. And so, Lord, would you have your way in this hour, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, last time we were in verse 3, and again, let's read verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. One of the greatest enemies that we face in the Christian life is the sin of pride. In fact, it could be argued that pride is at the very root of all sin. And you might say, well, how is that possible, Pastor? Well, the reason why it's possible is because pride puts I or me first rather than Christ. And, and Paul says, notice it here, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. In other words, what he's saying is it's not a problem for just a few. This is something that all of us deal with. This is something that all of us uh, need to be mindful of, that the sin of pride in our life. And also notice that Paul, uh, Paul's remarks here, again, they're not given to an isolated few, but to all believers. And, and pride is a, is a sin that we have to be aware that we deal with, not just from time to time, but it regularly uh, makes itself known in our life. Uh, the danger of pride is twofold. First of all, there's self-deception. The first problem that Paul addresses is that of thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think. Do you notice that there? He says, I'm saying this to all of you, not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. There's some self-deception there. Uh, he's talking about... He's talking about our opinions of ourselves. He's talking about things that people might take pride in, their intellect, their abilities, and so on. In some cases, and, and by the way, just remember, this is in the context of the New Testament church, and in particular, it's in the context of gifts and serving inside of the church. It's possible for attitudes to be developed where one thinks that they are God's gift to the church. 
Like without me, like, man, people just don't understand what I do around here. And if people understood what I would do, they wouldn't take it for granted because things just wouldn't get done if I didn't do it around here. Or this church would fold if it wasn't for me or my influence in the church. That's a terrible, terrible attitude to have inside the Lord's church. Attitudes can be developed where we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I know things. I see things as if other people don't. Some could actually believe that if they or their talents were removed from the local church, that the church would not function What a terrible attitude to have. John spoke of a man like that in 3 John. His name was Diotrephes, and he loveth to have the preeminence. That is the reason why people end up having or thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think. They love the attention. They love to have the preeminence because it strokes their pride and their ego. The conclusion of the matter is this. Every believer is important, but none is irreplaceable. There's a place in the work of God for all the members. Yes, amen. But the whole work rests on the shoulders of none except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the right attitude to have of the Lord's church. And so Paul begins here by talking about some self-deception. Don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And he begins by addressing the issue of pride before he gets into the function that each of us has inside of the body. There's also self-deprecation. The opposite end of the spectrum are those folks who display a false humility. Have you ever known people who are like this? You ask them to do something in the church and they say things like, I can't do it. I don't have any talent to do it. I don't have the ability to do it. I can't do anything. Well, if you're saved, there is something that you can do. Because when the Lord saved you, He gifted you in some area in order to be used inside of his church to which he should get the glory. Plain and simple. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God who worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. He says, the Spirit of God gives you a gift. It's given to every man inside of the body for the profit of the whole body. It's up to you and I to find out what that gift is and then get busy using it for the glory of God. And when we adopt this attitude of, I can't, or I don't have any ability or talent, what we're saying is, you know what? The Lord messed up. He didn't didn't know what He was doing. He didn't know what he was doing when he saved me and gifted me for service. I don't think we say that intentionally, but that's essentially what attitude we take on. And then Paul gives the right view, the right balance in verse 3, when he says, instead of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, he says, think soberly. 
according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The word soberly means sanely or intelligently. To have a balanced uh, idea here, to think uh, sanely, to think intelligently about this. And it is teaching us that we need to make an honest assessment of what the Lord has done in our life. And the bottom line here is this, that we need to be honest about what the Lord has done for us by His grace. He saved me by His grace. He's gifted me by His grace. That gift is to be used for His glory inside of His church. And that's my job, to give glory to the Lord. By the same token, don't assume a position of false humility by pretending that God isn't doing anything in your life. I think there's some extremes that can be wrong. And then we have to not lose sight of the fact that Paul uses the word grace a couple of times. He says in verse 3, through the grace given unto me. That's unmerited favor. Yes, undeserved favor of God, right? But it also means divine enabling. God's enabling. And so God enables us. And he says in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Why are, where, where, does, where do the gifts come from? Only by the grace of God. And so he reminds us of these important truths that number one, we're saved by grace. And then number two, we serve by God's grace. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace is active in the life of a believer. And God's grace is the thing that equalizes us one with another. That there's not anyone that's more important than another because it's all by the grace of God. And so that's what Paul talks about in verse 3. So let's get to our text here, the rest of the verses, and unpack these verses. And again, consider these thoughts. What is your place? And then working out your function. Look with me in verses 4 and 5. Paul says, "For, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So Paul's next objective here is to teach that the use of gifts are for the good of the whole body. He says in verse 4, he draws our attention to the human body to illustrate what he's about to teach us concerning the church. He says, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. He's referring to a physical body. You've got all kinds of body parts. You've got your arms and legs and fingers and toes and brain and head and, and eyes and liver and, and, and all of the different parts that make you you. They all have a purpose and they all have a function, but that function is for the good of the whole thing. The, the, the function of each individual part is for the good of the whole body. And so Paul reminds us what a, what a complex creation the human is. You have many members, many parts. Do you know our bodies are made up of trillions and trillions of cells? Over 200 bones in your body, 600 muscles, all these specialized systems that cause us to be able to live and to function. And you don't do a thing about any of that. God made that. 
All of these parts and pieces are so necessary for you to live and to function. The body is very diverse, but it's the perfect picture of unity. No part in the body tries to take the office or the job that belongs to another part. Your ankle bones don't try to do the job of your eyes. Right? Your liver doesn't try to do the job of your feet. No body part tries to take the office that belongs to another. Each part simply does what it's intended to do, and as a result, the entire body is able to live and to function and to thrive. Let me just give you a couple facts about the human body. 7.5 trillion cells. More complex than the most advanced supercomputer ever created by man. Each cell has 200 trillion tiny groups of atoms called protein molecules. So you have 7.5 trillion cells. Each cell has 200 trillion tiny groups of atoms called protein molecules. The largest molecule is called DNA. You know that. It carries hereditary information from the parents to the offspring. It carries genetic code. It determines what you're going to be. Did you know that if DNA in one cell is six feet long, and if all the DNA were linked together in a line, and you joined them all together, it would reach the sun and back 400 times. That's all the information that is in the human body. It is so complex. It is so unique. Each part has a function. Each part allows you to live and to thrive, but each part simply does its job to do. It doesn't take the job of another. Now, the application is this. Paul appeals to the human body as a grand example of diversity and unity. And the point is, is that the same unity of design and purpose is to exist within the body of Christ. The idea he presents in verse 5, he says, so we. So he says, he talks about the human body in verse 4, and now he's, he's making the application. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So he begins by reminding us that we are individual people, We're all members one of another, that Jesus Christ is a special place just for you inside of his church. But then he reminds us that, again, we're members one of another. While the body is made up of many components, it's all to function seamlessly together for the good of the whole. You know, your eyes see, but then your brain tells your hand, to move, and your hand reaches out to touch. And when you want to move from one location to another, your feet and your body respond by moving in that direction. Each function having its, or each body part having its function, and it's connected to the next one that does its function, and it's connected to the next one that does its function. You understand what I'm saying, right? 
There's a wonderful cooperation within the human body, each part doing its own job. That's the kind of cooperation that should exist within the church. But sometimes believers act as if they can get along just as well without other believers. Not realizing how much we need each other and how much we need to pray for one another as members of the same body for the good of the whole. Listen, it is very easy to take for granted the fact that the Lord has placed you inside of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 says that God places the members in the body as it hath pleased Him. It is pleasing to the Lord that you are here. God's placed you here. You have a function here. It's important. And sometimes believers act and feel like, well, we could get along just fine without other believers. Or some people think and feel like, well, if I wasn't around, nobody would notice. Wrong. You belong here if God placed you here. The body doesn't function well with missing body parts. Now, sometimes the Lord picks people up and moves them. Yes, He does do that. And He does that for their good and for His glory. And so that another body in another location can be blessed and can function the way He intends it to do. And then sometimes God brings others along and places them in this body. That happens according to the will of God. We leave that to the Lord. But to be a a member of this church and be a member of this body and to feel like I don't have a place or to feel like nobody would notice if I was gone or to feel like without me, this body wouldn't function right. All of that is wrong. God's given us a job to do and we're to simply just do what God has given us to do for the good of the whole. Sometimes people feel like Either nobody notices, or that I don't have a place, or sometimes people feel like they can get along well without body members or body parts, and it's just not true. Or if someone is just a little bit different, sometimes they're not treated in the same manner as another individual or another body part. Listen, we're to be a body, amen? But one distinct truth about the body is that every cell in my body possesses the same DNA. So too here. We possess the same DNA. We all have the same DNA as God's children and we're placed into this body as it hath pleased Him. And like we read, or talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says... One body part can't say to the other body part, I have no need of thee. Let's go and look at it. 1 Corinthians 12. So you see why Paul was dealing with the issue of pride first before he starts to talk about the function of the body. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? 
But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Not only has he put you here, but he's also given you a job inside of that body as it hath pleased him. Now notice, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet one body. So he's saying we're made up of all different kinds of people, all different kinds of backgrounds, all from different places, but we're all part of this body. We belong here. Okay? Then he says in verse 21, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that that part which lacked. (coughs) That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And so here's the application. While our bodies are one whole, they're made up of individual parts that do specialized tasks for the benefit of the whole thing. Our human bodies... They are a marvel, a marvel of individuality and yet harmony. And that's the way it should function inside the Lord's church. Individuals, but yet harmony. Every part has a duty and all the parts come together for the good of the whole. None are unimportant. None should be left out. This body should be no different Every member's been gifted in some area or another. We must find the gift, understand that gift, and then use it for the glory of God and the edification of this body. Do what God has gifted you to do. Leave the others to do what God has gifted them to do. Amen. Amen? What's your place in the body? It doesn't rest on the shoulders of anyone except for the Lord Jesus Christ. All are important, but none are irreplaceable. God can do that. But while He has us here, amen, while He has us here, what is my place? What is my function? Do what God has gifted you to do and leave the others to do what God has given them to do for the good of the whole. Now, go back to our text in Romans 12, and I want you to look at verses 6 through 8. And here we're going to see the idea that we are to work out our function in the body. Look at verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Paul takes and makes the application here to what he's just been teaching. And he says that by, and he goes on and says, having then gifts differing. So now he's making the application. 
We're all different members, individuals, but we're all for the good of the whole. God's given us different things to do, different functions. And he says, so having gifts that are different one of another, here's the logical conclusion is what he's making, coming to. And just as we are to find our place in the body, then we are to carry out our function to Christ in the correct fashion. Now notice verse 6, the first part of verse 6. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. This verse reminds us of what we've just been talking about, the diversity in the body, but it all comes by the grace of God. By the way, someone might ask, how do you know what your gift or gifts are? Well, that's a good question. And the simple answer that, for the sake of time that we have now is simply this. If you walk in humble submission to the Lord and your desire is to please God and obey God, God is going to reveal His gifts to you by giving you an opportunity to exercise those gifts for His glory. Oftentimes, it's something that you have a natural propensity towards. Oftentimes, that is a, a, an indication of a gift that God has given you. Uh, some people are, are very business-oriented in their mind, in the way that they think, and they have a gift to be used inside of the church to help organize. Other people uh, ha- uh, are, are givers, 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 givers. And some, I, look, I look around, and I see some of you, and some of you give and give and give beyond measure, and I say, how in the world do you do that? By the grace of God, you do it. It's a gift given to you. And I'm like, man, I want to be a giver like that. I want to have a gift like that. And my gift may not be to, to, to give as some of you. My gift might be to teach and to preach. My gift might be something different than, than yours is. But every one of our gifts are given to us for the good and the function of the whole. It's important that we use it to work out that function inside of the body. Some people are encouragers. What would a church be like if all we had was grumpy people in the church who never gave compliments, who never encouraged others. I'm glad our church isn't like that. There's some of you that are encouragers. Some of you just notice things about other people. You just observe and you notice that someone's hurting or that someone has something going on in their life. And they need a word of encouragement. That's a blessing. That's a gift. Not everybody needs a kick in the pants. Sometimes people just need to be encouraged and drawn along. Because they're struggling. They're hurting. They're overwhelmed with life, with kids, with whatever. You have that kind of a gift? Use it. Amen? Sometimes people do need a kick in the pants. And some of you have that gift. (laughs) You're really good kickers. Sometimes you need to use that. But whatever it is, whether it's giving, whether it's praying, whether it's encouraging, whatever that is, you need to use it. Sometimes people feel like, well, I just just shouldn't say anything. I don't. No, no. Say something. Use your gift for the good of the whole. 
That's what God intends for you. You might just have a natural propensity towards that. Now look at the second part of verse 6. He says, Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. In these verses, Paul mentions some of the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God gives inside of the church. There's lists of other gifts you can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. In fact, let's go over there, 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's just read a couple of verses there. First Peter chapter four and verse nine. He says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter talks about some spiritual gifts, but Peter also talks about it's, uh, that God is the one who gives them. And he says, God gives you that ability and, and, and you're to use that so that God in all things would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And we can take the time and look at all these different spiritual gifts, but there are many spiritual gifts that are given to be used in the church. And in our text, Paul's highlighting just some of those that would relate maybe to expounding the Word of God, and then also some of those that would maybe relate to expanding the work of God. We all have this function for the good of the whole. Some of us teach, some of us expound on the Word of God, others are used to grow ministries and, and expand the work of God. Paul's point is that we should seek to determine that gift or gifts that we've been given, and then we should set about using it for the Lord. And then the question might come about how. How do we set about using it for the Lord? Well, I think you need to start, first of all, by being available and being willing. And let God do the rest. Just to simply be used of God. Lord, I'm here. Use me how you would. Go back to our text in Romans and I want you to look at verse 8, because the last part of verse 8 deals with our attitude as we use the gifts that we've been given. He mentions three different things here, three different gifts, but with that, he gives a little bit of exhortation regarding our attitude. Notice in verse 8, he says, He that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. He mentions giving, ruling, and showing mercy here, but then he tells how these gifts are to be administered. And he gives three statements. 
But each of these statements can be applied across the board as we exercise spiritual gifts. Paul says that gifts are to be used with simplicity, with diligence, and with cheerfulness. The word simplicity here, it means with sincerity. It means free from mental pretense and hypocrisy. In other words, use the gift that God's given you without being fake. Free from mental pretense and hypocrisy. Do it sincerely. In other words, whether it's giving or whether it's the exercise of any other spiritual gift, it's got to be done with a pure heart, without fanfare, without direction towards self, for God's glory and not personal gain. Some people... I've heard this before. I think I may probably use this illustration before. But some people look at their gift as a talent or something that they do really well and they want affirmation and accolades for themselves. I've heard, I heard there was a time when somebody came to me, at, not here, not here, but somebody came to me at one point and they were like, well, we're, you know, where, they were new in the church. Where can we serve? Where can we, I want to do this. And, and this person said, you know, um, um, I sing. I sing, I can, I can sing. That's, that's what I do. And so, you know, um, maybe, maybe I could, if you need a solo song or you need, you know, something that they literally use the word solo, they wanted to stand and sing solos which I don't have a problem with solos, but you know what I do have a problem with? Someone who says, I sing solos, that's what I do. Well, there's a bathroom to clean right over there. We need some help there. Why don't we start with that first? And let's just see where it goes from there. Why would I say something like that? Because I want to see what your attitude is. Because right now it doesn't look like you have an attitude that is for the glory of God. It looks like you have an attitude that wants to draw attention to yourself. You know, the right attitude would be like, yes, maybe God has given me the gift and the ability of music and to sing, but it's not for me. It's only by the grace of God. And if God wants me to go clean some toilets for a while, I'll gladly do it because I just want to serve him. I still clean toilets, by the way, just so you know. I'm not above that. I just want to serve the Lord, serve the church. Paul says you do it with simplicity, whatever the gift is, with sincerity, free from mental pretense and hypocrisy, a pure heart, without fanfare. Oh, did you see how well I cleaned this week? Man, the church is looking good. <laughs> Who's ever going to say that? We just go do it because we love the Lord. We want to serve the church. Amen? Then he uses the word diligence. And the word means with haste. We get our English word speed from it. But it has the idea of carefully striving after something with haste. In other words, it has the idea that I'm going to go do this without procrastination. While there's time for me to serve while there's time that's available i'm going to serve the lord that's what he's talking about because the night cometh when no man can work our opportunities are going to be passed and so he says do it with diligence with haste carefully 
striving without procrastinating. And then he uses the word cheerfulness. It means with excited joy, with readiness of mind. We actually get our English word hilarious from this Greek word. But the word has the idea of being cheerful or happy in helping others. Oh, that's a key. That's huge. Being cheerful or happy in helping others. Now, what is my gift? Well, you got to figure out what your gift is. You got to be busy serving the Lord with this gift, but it's I'm cheerful about helping others for the good of the whole in it. Does that make sense? Oh, man, that just opens it all up about what the right attitude and heart and mind should be. You know what? We should not stand and teach so that people can think and say, man, you're a good Bible expositor. Man, you're a really good teacher. That's not why we should do that. So that we can get accolades or we can get attention or people can say, hey, that was a really good message. That's terrible. But we shouldn't do that with any other gift that we have either. I do it with cheerfulness for the good of everyone, to help others. That's what Paul is saying here. And the greater thought is that whatever ability, gift, or ministry God has given, do it. And do it because you want to be a blessing to other people. None is worthy of pride. Because God gives the ability in the first place. Let's not forget that. You might be able to teach, and you might teach well, but God gives the ability to do it. Amen? You might be able to sing, and you might do it well, but God gives the ability to do it. So we ought to use whatever gift God has given. We ought to serve in whatever ministry God has given, and we ought to do it humbly. We ought to do it diligently. We ought to do it cheerfully, and we ought to do it faithfully. Being allowed to exercise our gifts in the service of the Lord should fill our heart with joy, with excitement. That's the idea. Serving God from an excited heart, helping others so God gets the glory. Is that you? Here's the conclusion. How well are we filling out the place that we've been called on to fill? As we listen today, the question is, did the Spirit of God touch your heart regarding something? Maybe it's in an area of pride. Maybe we've been doing things with the wrong motive. Maybe there's some false humility that's there. Maybe you haven't been exercising your spiritual gift as you should. Maybe life has been more centered on me or myself or this temporal life and not serving the Lord in the church. I don't know. But if the Lord has spoken to your heart about something, you need to respond. Are you doing your job but maybe you've been doing it with the wrong attitude. Whatever the need is, if there is one, bring it to the Lord. Deal with it. Let Him have His way. Let's apply God's Word 
in our life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for its truth. And Lord, we do ask, however you've spoken to hearts, Lord, that there would be a humble, tender response to it today. May you have your will and way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, please.